everybody and welcome to episode 6 of the World Hoppers podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping out new readers navigate Brandon Sanderson's Cosmere, but also provide some discussion for long-time fans who may want to introduce someone to the series. I am Cheyenne and I am here with my co-hosts Alfonsina and Alana. Hi. Hello here. I'm Alfonsina. It's been a long time. <laughs> yeah, it has. Uh, today we will be discussing the Hero of Ages, and we will be avoiding spoilers for the uh, rest of the Cosmere, as well as Era 2 and Secret History. But we'll try to highlight what you can pick up as a first-time reader here that could be a hint towards the Cosmere, though that's going to be hard in this episode in particular, because the lines are very blurry. I don't want to accidentally say too much. Uh, so yeah, we finally made it to the Hero of Ages. It's been a long time uh, since we've recorded Oh my god, yeah. This is a big milestone. <laughs> Was everything explained as we promised? <laughs> okay, yes, and so much more. I honestly did not expect, like, even from, like, the first chapter, things were already being, like, tied up and resolved, and I seriously did not expect that. I, like, I thought I would have to wait until the uh, Sander Lounge, but no, like, just throughout, it would just be like, and we're gonna take this and tie it in a neat little bow and move on and then keep doing that as we just go through. And it was so satisfying. Yeah, and the thing is, we still have lots of, lots of questions. I mean, first of all, who is Lutha? Whoever Lutha was named after. We still have no idea. And Brandon has raffled that question multiple times. I did not even realize that was named after someone. Oh my god. It is. <laughs> I haven't even thought about that question. Yeah, people realized after a naming convention that started in Era 2, Luthadel has to be named after someone who we have no idea. People say probably someone who was uh, special to the Lord Ruler, because we do know he had kids. As much as that frustrates everybody. Uh, <laughs> especially Eric. I stand for the Lord Ruler. Now, now you all understand me. He was... No. I mean, yes, I mean, it's similar to what happens to another character in Stormlight, which we're not going to talk about now, but the Lord Ruler had good intentions and he was manipulated by a cosmetical huge force which had a evil, a destroying, decaying thing's intent. He resisted it as much as he could. Okay, I hear you, but I do just want to point out that, like, Ruin did not influence him whenever he decided to turn all of, like, the fellow Cond uh, people, like, terrorist people into yeah, Chandra. Like, that was, that was all him and his need for power. Yeah, and, like, even before, like, when he was just, like, traveling with Ellen, he wasn't the great person anyway. But I do understand that not all of his actions were his own, so I will give you that. I mean, I don't. We don't know if he was a good person. He didn't. He didn't look like a nice person. Certainly, like um, a, a yeah, nice, nice person, like Sacred. But um, as a political leader, when he took the decisions he took, he made them for a reason. So I mean, it's an interesting. But he also process. didn't know. Yeah, we'll talk about this uh, more, and it's gonna be so hard to talk about without Cosmere spoilers. But like, he didn't know exactly what he was doing when uh, he took the power at the Well of Ascension. So he did make a lot of mistakes and just kept trying to fix them, mm -hmm. which was a huge problem. Yeah. You know, that whole scene whenever, um, I think Sage is describing, like, he's like, oh, he moved the planet forward, and then he's like, oh, crap, that's too close, and then he, like, put the ash mounds there, and I'm like, yeah. it's just like watching one bad thing after another yeah. happen. 
Um, and I'm like, this shouldn't be funny, but it kind of is at this point because it's just one mistake after another. And I'm just like, just stop. Yeah, like, just each mistake is like progressively like, trying to fix the last mistake, but it's also a mistake. Like, yeah. he just causes another issue that then he has to like fix, fix and then causes another issue. And I'm just like, just dude. I mean, that inability to stop reminded me a lot of when I'm playing a video game and I'm losing and I'm... <laughs> On a very, very cold straight, losing game after game, and I'm like, okay, 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 wait, wait a minute, everyone. This one is going to be my last one, and I'm going to be out of it with glory, and I'm going to win, and then I'm crushed, because I'm tilted, and I'm like, stop, Alfonsina, stop playing, and I'm like, no, one more so that I can show to myself that I can do this, and no, you can't. I mean, you probably can, he probably could, but he needed more time. He needs to take mm-hmm, yeah. a rest. <laughs> and you need to yeah. take a rest when you are binging something. A power. Yeah, you gotta take a, a game. Take a break to break the cycle. And he did not have the time to do that, unfortunately. So yeah. so he made a lot of mistakes. Yeah, uh, but I did want to ask, like, for your overall uh, thoughts about the book before we get into uh, more specifics. What did you think of the Sander Land? Because I know you recorded, uh, like, all your reactions. I haven't been able to see it because I've been full of things for school. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Um, I want to watch it too. God, it was so satisfying. I honestly didn't believe that everything would be wrapped up as well as it was because I was just like, there's just so many things here that like we're wondering about. And I specifically was like, there's just so many questions. And every time that like, I thought I maybe had an answer, it would just raise more questions. And it was like the the cycle of mistakes, except it's the cycle of questions. And I'm just like, there's too much here. And then he wraps it up so perfectly in this one book where I'm reading it and I'm like, no, it it can't have been that simple all along. Like, yeah, I, know. I will say I am proud of guessing the whole thing with the earring. Um, like, because in the wow. recording, I'm like, I think there's something going on with the earring. And I like have my hypothesis. And then like five minutes later, I'm like, I was right. That was remarkable. Yeah. It's also really surprising. Uh, my uh, friend Colors, who we actually want to get on the Stormlight episodes whenever that happens. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah called uh some of those like i kept trying to distract it but it's harder over text than it is uh, like talking in person because it's less natural mm-hmm. and he was like there's something weird about vid's uh mother's uh craziness and i was like she could just be crazy i mean it does exist I- yeah like i was going nuts about the whole spook thing where he was like seeing kelsier and he suddenly had like this new power and i'm like what is happening (laughs) and then like it all i was like you can't be adding this whole new plot line out of nowhere and then Mm -hmm. suddenly like that also connected to all the other plot lines and it wrapped up so well and i'm just i'm like how did he do this because it was just yeah like there was so much there and then it all makes sense by the end and it was just, it was so satisfying. That's the only really word that I can put to it. Because I'm reading yeah. it and I'm like, it all makes sense. And even the deaths at the end, like I was reading it oh, and I'm God. like, there's no way that they make it out of this. And I'm kind of okay with that. Like, it makes sense. They understand it. They've accepted it. Like, and they needed a rest. They, really I mean, they had such a hard time. I mean, yeah. yes, they were married, but they couldn't. That, like, for example, like the other um, married couples we see in the Cosmere, which I won't name. But... Even if they are also in terrible situations, at least they can actually uh, like be happy as a married couple. Vin and Nelland were worried about saving the world. Yeah. They have such uh, little time uh, together, and that's just sad. 
Yeah, but like now they can rest together and we know that they are together from the epilogue, which I have questions about. But yeah, we'll see how much we can answer because it's not going to be easy. They got a very nice closure. I mean, mm-hmm. say yeah. said bringing it's... them, I mean, not them, their bodies back yeah. and the, the whole um, with the flowers yeah. that he made. It was very special and they were, they ended up somehow connected and we know that's that's important. They ended up connected yeah. to to the place they saved, even if they couldn't be there to enjoy mm-hmm. the flowers. I mean, it's so sad, but yes, that yeah. that couldn't have been in a in a in a different way and end up so well. Yeah, it would have been like I wouldn't have believed it if they had lived because they'd been through so much and there was just too much happening there. Yeah. Yeah, but after this book, after this ending of of the first era of Mistborn, I trust Brandon blindly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whatever he does, even if I'm like, hmm, I don't, I don't know, I don't like it, I'm not sure. I trust him after this because he has proved that he can do really good endings. He can close everything he opens. So I don't know if I would have been able to commit to such a long saga as Stormlight, which opens so many different plot lines and yeah, and even now uh, the Wheel of Time. I mean, that isn't even like all Brandon, but Brandon did finish. Yes, it. Yeah. I mean, if if I hadn't known that he was able to do this with uh, the Hero of Ages, I would have been like. Ugh. This is too much. No one can handle too much. Well, if someone can, Brandon is that person. Yeah. And, like, no slander to Kingkiller or, like, Patrick Rothfuss whatsoever. But that was, like, the series... Or George R. R. Martin. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, like, Kingkiller specifically was the series that got me back into reading, like, fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so I've been kind of worried with all the other series I go into that there is going to just kind of be this... Kind of like there's yes. so many things unanswered and we don't know if we're going to get those answers. Because I went from that into like Stormlight immediately. And I'm like, there's going to be like six other books and who knows what's going to happen there and if we'll ever get answers. Um, and so seeing Mistborn wrapped up so well really did kind of make me trust Brandon's writing more and that we will get yeah. these answers um, throughout the series. Yeah, I'm so excited because he's finishing three series in a row. I mean, he's finishing Era 4 right now. He's finishing Skyward next, which I haven't read. It's on my TBR for this year. Era 2, book 4. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Era 2, book 4. Yeah, yeah, don't get uh, don't get your hopes so uh, high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're two book four, and he's finishing Stormlight. Well, the first arc essentially because it's divided into two arcs, first mm-hmm. five and the next five. He's finishing Stormlight after that, and I am so excited. Not only because of everything that Rhythm of War set up, but also because. I've seen Brandon do endings, he finished this and he finished The Wheel of Time. And even though there are people who aren't happy with the ending of The Wheel of Time because it wasn't Robert Jordan, I think Brandon did a magnificent job with that and I am super excited to see how he closes out these three series. Yeah, how that especially he's working because on. there was no other way. I mean, it's yeah. it's heartbreaking too, but Jordan wouldn't have been able to, to do this, so... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are in the middle of 2021 when we're recording this episode and I mean, it's very special for me that we're talking about the Hero of Ages because Brandon is right now writing the closure of Era 2 and unfortunately Era 2 wasn't written like all together, the four books, they were spaced in different periods of time between each other, but fortunately the following Mistborn, Mistborn Era 3... 
is so excited for you at three. Yes, that one is going to be written like everything all together. So we're getting something as epic as as this one, as the Hero of Ages. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait because that's gonna be like era three, and And they're going to have like some crazy technology hopefully then and arrow yes. four so like i'm yeah, so arrow excited. four is the end of the cosmere that's oh we're missing a long time for that but mm-hmm. era three is the next thing he's writing after uh stormlight five with possibly some breaks for elantra sequels in between because i think he did say he needs those before makes sense i don't know if before era three or before the backup of stormlight somewhere around that but the launcher sequels have to happen at some point and i think that is did he say sequels in plural or one extra. Uh, two. Oh, nice. Warbreaker's the one that ha- maybe has only one sequel. That's let's one let's of hope the ones that, that, that doesn't get most lost in all the uh, other books. In Jeopardy. Yeah. 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 That one and uh, Aether of Night are the ones that are in most Jeopardy of not being written. But yeah, the Hero of Ages is amazing. So, what do you think of the tremendous beginning it has? I mean, the first epigraph and then the first chapter. Oh my god, he loves doing and this And the thing. prologue. Bro, the prologue well, is insane. The prologue is, is tough. Yes, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't even put two and two together with the epigraph because I was like, oh, what was the first epigraph? And literally connected to the epilogue and... Okay, I was right, and y'all were trying to get me off course with, like... Yeah, I was I like, know. it's Sazed. It's gotta be Sazed. And y'all are like, well, why do you think that, huh? Like, explain your reasoning. But, oh, okay, I have to go back and reread all the epigraphs now. But, God, that really does start off so hard-hitting with, like, no preamble, no nothing. I am, unfortunately, the hero of ages. Period. Like, Let's get into it. Iconic epigraph. So good. As iconic as three of the 16 rules, but now the broken one reigns. I don't know what that is, but sounds cool. (laughs) It's uh, from Stormlight. It's uh, one of the death rattles in Way of Kings. Oh, okay. God, I've got to do a Stormlight reread at some point. But yeah, that just, you are in for a ride with this book. Yeah. And I do think that Brandon did a great job in like, uh, like, uh, the way Sazed speaks through the epigraphs. It's hard, really. But like, he transmitted his voice really well, like the way he constructs sentences but also how he's a bit unsure of himself which we really see in this book in particular uh like hesitance to take power like for example if just hypothetically if it were kelsier or if vin uh, who was a hero of ages they would never have like been talking this way because it, this is the way says that talks I mean, he is unsure of himself even though he is a god now essentially yeah well a shard a fraction of a god mm-hmm. or two fractions <laughs> like without saying anything directly he transmitted says its voice really well mm-hmm. and i know that there are some people that catch it early some people that don't and i know that the people who listen to the audiobook do have the advantage of like mm-hmm. michael kramer's voice because he uses the same voice as he uses for says it mm. okay uh, oh. but yeah. that's so spoilery <laughs> i know i mean it bothers me a bit but Michael Kramer's amazing anyway. Yeah, I mean, he did the right thing. He did the right thing. I, I think he couldn't have done otherwise, but well, the perks of listening to the audiobook or reading. Yeah, and that's like one of the reasons why I couldn't really put into words why I thought it was Sazed, because like, mm-hmm. I'd seen one spoiler 
And then I was still pretty sure that it was Vin that was the hero of ages. But as soon as I started reading the epigraphs, I'm like, there's no way Vin would not talk like this. Like, this is way too academic, way too thought out. Like, Vin is very, like, short sentences. Like, she gets her point across and she's not going to waste time openly questioning herself or anything like that. And so I was just like, I don't know. It's either Sazed or someone that we don't know. And I would find that very weird. Yeah. It's fun because I was in, in so much denial when I read this for the first time because I read Unfortunately, I am the hero of ages, and I'm like, oh, and, and then I kept reading the epigraph, and I was like, okay, so Bin speaks like a proper lady now. Okay, I, she even sounds British in my head. What what will happen through this book that will make her become a scholar? What's I don't know. I I, I guess I'll read and find out. And then when she dies and. And Cesar is there ascending. I was like, oh my god, this was literally on the first epigraph. So typical of Randon to just yeah. say the god. things right straight into your face. And you being like, I'm not acknowledging this spoiler because I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely Cesar. His tone, the way he speaks, the way he writes, the way he expresses himself is so well done that you can recognize it very easily once you know what you're looking for. I was yeah. so convinced that she was going to be the hero of ages, but well. That would be way too straightforward for Brandon. Like, he's got yeah, to make everything Yeah, I was a summer child back then. <laughs> I was just starting the Cosmere. Yeah, I think I was reading too fast to remember any of my predictions. I mean, I read all three in the span of a week. So, <laughs> I don't remember any of my predictions, really. I do remember, like, reading our review, and I was like, yes, I got it. But I don't remember what it was. I don't remember what my prediction was. I don't remember any of that. I just do remember that feeling of satisfaction of like, oh yeah, I called it. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't for this. I mean, it's hard to have a prediction if you're reading in such a crazy pace. I guess that you get more of the memory of the feeling you got from reading it. Because when, when you're binging, you're just like riding it. <laughs> riding yeah. the storm and going with it and feeling it. They are very emotional books these books. So we start off with the prologue in Marsha's perspective, which I think is really interesting. And this prologue is crazy. Immediately we get what hemology is, and uh, we get the process of making an inquisitor, which is deeply disturbing. Not as disturbing as some other things, but it r is really up there. It's top tier disturbing, I could say. They just really throw you in the deep end there. They're like, yep, here is like yeah. all the terrible stuff. So uh, he's performing uh, hemology, like making a new inquisitor from a uh, keeper. And like Marsha is just not acting at all like himself. Then for a second he regains control and is horrified because he should be because the allergy is terrifying. Well, it's just deeply disturbing. More than terrifying, it's disturbing. I honestly thought that this was going to be a painful journey of seeing different chapters uh, from Marsh's point of view and just feeling him lose himself over the power of ruin. And I thought that in the end he was going to just uh, that the just the ruined part was going to to exist in his person. So I don't know. I think it's very well foreshadowed and it's very well created the way in which he develops that Marsh is trying to resist. Mm -hmm. He's trying. It looks like yeah. it will be inevitable to keep doing so at some point, but. <sighs> Well, Marsh ends up being an epic character. Yeah, yeah, I really, really like his character. I really love how Ben uh, talked about like him resisting uh, Ruin, which is like really hard. I mean, Ruin is a shard. Yeah. From the two brothers, Branderson certainly wrote it so that Ruin took the wrong one to corrupt. Yeah. yeah. 
Because he would have succeeded with Kelsier. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I love the whole idea of, like, you can't think about the fact that you're resisting. He had to just kind of tuck it away and not think about, oh, I need to resist. Like, he has to make it seem like he'd already given in. And so that whole thing of, like, even your thoughts aren't safe at that point when you have ruin in your head was just fascinating and terrifying to think about. So I just, I loved that. Yeah, the, the raw strength of his mind is absolutely stunning but well i mean he was described as a person who was very introspective and uh, as someone who thought a lot about stuff before saying anything he's described that way from the first book so it makes sense he was a deliberate person Mm -hmm. definitely the wrong brother to take yeah, and as horrible things as Marsh does in this book and their ruined control, I mean, uh, the whole Penrod thing and everything we see of hemology. I don't think it was his fault. Oh, absolutely not. Like, if we're going to absolve the Lord Ruler, we're yeah. definitely <laughs> yeah. going to forgive Marsh. This was really well foreshadowed last book when Marsh and Caesar go to the Conclave. I forgot how yes. it's called, really. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Marsh tells Caesar like not to look at something, and yeah, uh, he Caesar asks about so an inquisitor. Caesar, like, goes off on his own. And yeah, Caesar goes off on his own and finds metal ply. And like even back then, we're seeing signs of hemology show up like everywhere. The the inquisitors and the how they survive. The conventicle of uh, Yeah, the conventicle of Saran. Thank you. And so ah, Brandon's foreshadowing, and I really like the way he introduces a magic system in each book and. Mm-hmm. Still put scenes yes. for them, like, yeah, because it helps with the learning curve, which is really good for a trilogy like this, and it makes us have something new to discover each book, yeah. And I do want to say that with the prologue that Marsh has, even in the first few sentences, it really makes you start to wonder like, how much control Ruin has had and how much of this was part of Ruin's plan. Because it says in the first paragraph, it says three years, three years as an inquisitor, three years imprisoned in his own thoughts, and so you have to think back, like, when did this start? when did he become kind of like an agent of Ruin working for him? Then it's like, okay, so the whole conventicle of Saran, was that all part of his plan to get Caesar to take a rubbing so that Ruin could mess with the words? And how much of this did Ruin plan for? And how much did everyone play into his hand? I think it was just fascinating to see like how much of the foreshadowing was already there. Yeah, and this whole series really is a chess game between Ruin and preservation. And I really do like how many of uh, the clues like are in the previous books like we have no idea about ruin or preservation in the first two books i mean we see a bit of them at the end of well of ascension but really they come to the forefront here and we see all these hints uh, like with the lord ruler especially this has been going on for a very long time yes mm-hmm. everybody played a part on the other hand it's very scary that we have seen the inquisitors have for misborn powers and when when we are starting to understand the way that hemology works we see that in this prologue he's taking the powers from ferrochemist and they were not supposed to exist i mean they were read out of existence supposedly and now that they have been found they are being used to create enhanced misborn Philochemist inquisitors, so oh, that's like a very a very big blow against the the good guys, <laughs> and it's also very terrifying. Yeah, and like I remember being so shocked during the Sanderlanch whenever Marsh apparently has like twenty spikes in him, as opposed to like the normal like seven 
to five, I think. Something like that. Um, And she's like, he's just so powerful because he's just constantly been adding these powers from either Ferrucamus or Mistborn. And it was crazy how much it had warped both of those powers. Mm -hmm. And besides, we know that the, the more spikes you have in you, the more that you are subject of ruins manipulation so the the thing he managed to resist he did it even if he was much more controlled than any other inquisitor so it's really um an incredible feat what he did there a great character so i was thinking if we could go a bit to ellen sure i really like ellen in this book he's taking so much more control he's confident now he's a full-blown allomancer but vin is still much better than him and vin will still beat him in a fight because she has the skills right Oh, yeah, but his appearance <sighs> is delicious. <laughs> He's delicious. I mean, there's a wonderful knight riding a horse appearing in the eyes of this... Well, he's not a knight. I mean, that was but yeah, <laughs> probably wrong term. But he, he's a man riding a horse, showing up to these people who are desperate. And behind his dark cape, he's wearing white. And, oh my, when, when you read the white... The white clothing, you know, it's him, and and he he doesn't introduce himself um, until way later on on the first chapter. But he's so different. It's such an interesting contrast to see him being confident, being a leader, being uh, calling himself the emperor. I am your emperor, he says. Oh my. Yeah. And just even that first chapter is so cinematic. Oh, yeah. Like, yes. I could just picture that sitting in, like, a theater and, like, watching him walk up with, like, the white outfit and, like, everyone's being like, oh my god, it's Eland. And I could see that as a movie. Oh, yeah. And it is so well done. And it also mm-hmm. highlights just how much he has changed while still staying true to himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like, recognizable as a character. Like, everyone can be like, oh, yeah. That's Eland right there. Tindwil would have been so proud. Oh, yeah. He made it. But yeah, this book put the characters in in very rough situations and they were forced to evolve to incredible different things from what they were before. I mean, everyone here has like a 180 degrees change. I mean, Spook, who was this kid who's speaking a weird like dialect and suddenly is the survivor (laughs) of the flames. Marsh, who was the irrelevant, like, serious older brother of the cool, epic, handsome Kelsier, <laughs> is now this monster that is actually not the monster, but remains remains himself enough to, to switch the table completely. And Ellen, who was this nerd, <laughs> nerd, <laughs> reading at the ball, being a silly teenager, speaking about politics um, in a condescending suburb way, which demonstrated that he didn't know anything about society. He's now this incredible, strong fighting leader. Wow. I mean, the only one that has like a more, a a different kind of uh, transformation is Vin because it's much more progressive, I think. But yeah, regarding Ellen, his first apparition, it's amazing. And and I was still mourning for Tindwell when I read this because I finished The Well of Ascension, like in my first time. I'm reading it and I immediately started the hero vision and I was like no <laughs> she Aww. had to leave to see this she had to leave to see this no yeah that was all I can th- I could think of when I read it 
Like, Ellen is worried about uh, becoming like, ruthless, like the Lord Ruler, and it's like, no, Ellen, no. You're not a tyrant, you're because he's genuinely doing himself. what you're better. Yeah, I love the, um, yeah. kind of the emphasis that was put on, like, choices and difficult choices in this book, because so many people had to make so many incredibly difficult choices, where either way the consequences would not be good. And how Ellen kind of goes from, in the first book, like, here's all the political theory and, like, I think that this is the way that we should be doing things in a very, like, idealistic and kind of naive way. To, like, seeing how his theory in book two failed. To, like, growing past it and still understanding it, but also understanding the human component. And... Mm -hmm. Like, seeing that growth and change in him was so satisfying again. Like, it really felt like a complete character arc. Especially whenever he was dealing with the Inquisitor that was ruling... I can't think of what the place is. Yo, uh, Not an Inquisitor, an yes. Obligator, but yes. He's not an Inquisitor. Oh, not an Inquisitor. He was in... Uh, oh god, what's the other one with the, like, eye tattoos? He was an Obligator, and... Jomen, Jomen, however you say that, yeah. Yeah, He was and... dealing with him, and he was dealing with him like a boss. Yeah. He nailed it. They had those discussions. Oh my. Like, he burst in there. He's like, I understand all the theory that you're talking about, and here's why it's wrong. Like, they had these discussions while also being like, yeah, we can discuss this, but I'm still clearly the one in charge here. And, like, I'm going to walk into your ball with my I wife, and we're going to, like, be the talk of the town. Scene. That whole, like, sequence of scenes was so amazing. Just them, like, strutting in, being like, yeah, we are the emperor and empress. Deal with it. Using the knowledge that they had gained from, like, the previous balls was so good because it was, like, a callback to book one. And, God, I just loved it. I loved everything about really seeing Elin come into his own and be like, yeah, I'm the emperor. I know what to do. I understand the people and I'm going to do it was just so amazing. There's even a closure to the ball thing. Because, like, when you're, like, I don't know, in the 40% of the Hero of Ages, you're like, I can't believe this book started with kind of Cinderella 2.0. And now these people are dying and suffering and being killed and stroked by natural mist and non-natural phenomena. I mean, so many things happening and they were dancing and fighting over who danced with whom in, in the first book. But even that is given the proper close-up. Yeah, yeah. Close and up. I, I know Closure. we're talking about um, Eland right now, but the way that that worked with Vin's arc as well, where like in book one, she's like, no, I'm just playing this character. I can't enjoy balls like this. Like, it's mm -hmm. not right for me. And then in book two, she becomes a bit more comfortable with that. But there's also no, like, balls don't exist anymore because the world is ending and like so much is happening. And then in book three, she kind of has like accepted that that is a part of herself and they do get a chance to kind of enjoy this and be themselves again. Yeah. And kind of call back to their beginnings and it was just so beautiful. It is, definitely. I'm even willing to say that in Era 2 we have some sort of tribute to the ball thing because it's the same planet, it's the same society, I mean, changed by the events of the end of the book. But the ball thing is something that's like an icon of skateboard societies. 
So we see that several times and it's very well done. In the first, in the second, in the third book of Era 1 and even through Era 2. So yeah, besides they deserve that last dance together. Yeah. Because they struggle like a couple in a romantic way. They struggle a lot because there was this stupid sane thing going on because there was the double Cinderella facade going on in the first book. And Mm -hmm. now that they they are married, they Mm -hmm. love each other, they are honest to the point that they don't have to speak to each other because they just have that big of a connection bonding them they finally got to dance together and be gorgeous and graceful burning pewter while while they dance i love that scene it's just such a uh, good question the way uh ellen like asked for the book that he was reading Uh, i forgot how it's called that i should know this uh the book he was reading when he met ben yes and I just yeah. think that's adorable. So sweet. <laughs> I can almost listen to the Dark Academia playlist sounding when I remember that scene. Yes. Oh my god. Uh-huh. And just like picturing that from like an outsider's point of view of like, oh crap, the Emperor and Empress have like crashed the party and he's asking and they are for misborn. a book now? Yeah. They're and supposed they to be dancing and they... he's reading? Yeah, yeah. I mean, because people were probably thinking they can kill everyone in here with minimum effort of their capabilities, but no. Oh, oh wait, they, they're dancing. They're ch- chatting with, with Yeoman. Okay, they're reading a book. <laughs> he's reading a book while he dances. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's a very intimate moment. At the same time, they are being watched by everyone else. And it's also um, the combination of showing up who is in power, but also sharing a very intimate thing at that particular moment. So yeah, it's perfect. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of like an evolution from what happened in book two where they had to like really put forward a united front even when they felt like they weren't actually enjoying Mm -hmm. it or feeling that united front and so now they can both be like politically powerful but also still be themselves and enjoy what they're doing and so you can really see how they have grown as a couple and as leaders in the way that they just hold themselves and interact with people yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and what i really liked is that i really really sincerely got the feeling that even when literally the world is ending and everything is messed up and people is on denial and you're trying to say come on the world is ending pay attention and they're like nope even if in that terrible moment you can just enjoy a moment of happiness with a beloved one and you can be okay even if everything is not okay because that's the way life works you never have like everything in order or everything made a mess you have Mm -hmm. like again the combination of the mess and the happy moments so it's it's amazing that they were able to enjoy that even in in that situation because it's a nice metaphor of how to get strength when you are going through a tough time so yeah i i love that book that scene everything it's perfect. Yeah. When I say it's perfect, I mean it. <laughs> yep. So who do we want to talk about next? Uh, well. Because I know we could spend the rest of the episode probably just talking about Eland and Ven. Like... I was talking about Caesar and Tenstone. Oh, yes. Oh, oh I my mean, God. When I read the Kandra reveal and Tenstone's final arc, I cried so much. And, and that was last year on my, on my second reading of the book. I cried so much that my cat came to the table and he started to, to meow me because he was worried. <laughs> and he started Aww. to bump his head against the book and my hand. And I was like, stop, stop, gato. I'm crying, but I'm okay. <laughs> 
And he was so worried. Oh, but what a noble sacrifice the Khandra people made. Yeah. Oh my god. Yes. What a noble character Tensoon. Yeah, and I god, I love Tensoon as a character. That was fascinating to follow. I can't say too much of what I was thinking because it is a bit spoilery for the rest of the Cosmere because it reminded me of another sort of arc that we see. I just, I love seeing the Khandra like civilization and oh, yeah. when the second generation took over, I was just like, duh like they've been in power for the last i don't even know how long and you're suddenly being like hey we all have to die in like two weeks so you gotta you gotta stop doing what you're doing like of course they're not gonna immediately give in and be like yeah let's all kill ourselves it's another sacrifice willingly made Mm -hmm. so it strikes real hard (laughs) at the reader's heart yeah. But I mean I was I was stunned because I remember I thought that we knew so little about the Kandra and Brandon actually tells you a lot about the Kandra by the end, the upper end of the book. So I was like, come on, when are we going to know about the Kandra? Pages are just running out and I don't know. But even if somehow it was done very well, I would have liked to see much more of the Kandra society. Yeah, I'd say about half of my tabs are probably um Chondra related because every time that like anything was mentioned like my first tab is in the prologue and oh no wait that is in relation to the Terrasmen so never mind but like so many of my tabs were anything the Chondra mentioned I was like okay Mm -hmm. gotta gotta remember that we'll come back to that later yeah the Chondra know so much I mean oh the fact that they were uh the original uh Rashik's uh Terrasmen friends at least the first generation was and then he just turned all the other Terrasmen into uh, mistress and then uh, the whole generations thing. That, uh, that's just mm-hmm. so interesting to me because Rashek was not a great person but the fact that he didn't kill them and recruited uh, them to help him fight against Druin I think that's just so interesting. And especially we had no idea we hardly knew Tensoon as a character yeah. before this. It was twisted what he did to them. They were his friends, his family yeah. so so he was pretending to be our seer, so we didn't really know him before this. And even with how crazy this book is, he had a very complete and a amazing arc. First, like, when he's in prison and the trial and, like, talking to Melan and mm-hmm. all that. And, like, the fight, like, like, between the generations. Just so deep. And it's just, like, one book. <laughs> And it is a deep star by length. It's just that if you think about the concept of creatures, we're kind of alien creatures that can imitate or shapeshift into another people, it's not such an original or noble concept. But the country mechanics surrounded by the way the society works, in the conditions they were created, and in the conditions that we see them on the end of these books when the the catacendra, the apocalypse is going on, I found all that arc absolutely fascinating. I am in awe every time I think about it, I read about it on the copper mind. And it's done in, in such um in such few pages. So yeah, I got the feeling that I wanted more because it was fascinating. But it was well done. Yeah. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the difference between how the Chandra and how the Kolos work in their relationship to like humanity. Because mm-hmm. 
Tensoon is having this whole discussion in his head or like thoughts about why do we feel the need to like look as human as possible and like why are we trying to make ourselves seem less dangerous to the humans and why aren't we just ourselves and like why don't we embrace the fact that we can change our shape and you see that in like the later generation with their wooden Crystal. or like stone Crystal. bodies yeah and how they are less humanoid with Milan where she's like very slender and stuff they're kind of breaking away from humanity because yes the first generation was human originally but they aren't anymore and the rest haven't been whereas the Kolos have recently been working so hard to be like i am human we were human yeah and this like twisted humanity that they have I just, I thought it was fascinating the difference between those because going into it, at least for me, I assumed that they were very similar because they were always put as like, oh yeah, those are the two things that the Lord Ruler created. And other the Inquisitors, yeah. which are clearly very They are actually made in similar ways. I mean, not mm -hmm. similar ways, but they, they require two hemorrhagic spikes yeah. per Yeah, the country. And the Kolos have four pewter spikes, right? Yeah, yeah sorry, not like two. Four for the Kolos. Yeah, two the Kondra have two, the Kolos have four. Mm -hmm. And so, like, they seem similar at the beginning, but then the more you learn about them, the more you see that they have this very different relationship to humanity and what they are as a creature or a non-human. So I just, I thought it was fascinating to learn more about both groups. Yeah, especially like the trial and how the relationship is between all the generations because the, the first generation really doesn't do much anymore, mm -hmm. right? Like they know a lot, but the second generation is really in charge of the card part. Oh, God, I don't like him. And uh, the whole ruse as Hinsun pulled off with the wolfhound body, I mean, it was like, make them believe that I don't want this body, that it's a shame because that's what Vin put me and I don't know what, but when he really wanted the body because it's convenient. I thought that was uh, really great. Like showing how Tintin like understands more than the Conjure that stay in the homeland. Like how people think and also how even though he's a bit grouchy and like stubborn. He's grouchy but uh, it's cute grouchy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He understands and accepts diversity far more than the Conjure which is strange because the Conjure change shape. They should be able to accept diversity easily but they don't. Mm -hmm. I just think this is really, really fascinating. Like the relationship between the generations and how they're also connected to the Lord Ruler. Well, because the first generation were his uh, Terrasman friends. Yeah, and I loved how um, Tenzin was arguing that Vin had taken the Lord Ruler's place and like was his heir. And I thought that was such a fascinating difference between how everyone else saw her as Kelsier's heir and like she's going to be the next like savior and then Tenzun is sitting here arguing like no she took over from the lord ruler once she killed him and like that is such a different like take on it than i feel like a lot of other all the humans had and so at first i'm like how dare you of course she didn't take over for the lord ruler he was terrible and then you start to learn more and you're like oh, okay so i see what you're doing here and like it makes a lot more sense the more you learn about both of them as people and so I just, I love seeing how that kind of evolved and how I do think they came to accept that like, yes, she was the next kind of Lord Ruler because she was the one taking on the fight directly against Ruin. Well, I find very interesting what you say because you're talking about how Vin is referred to as the heir of the Lord Ruler and also the heir of here by different groups of people and it's not the first time that you have drawn a parallel between the Lord Ruler and Kelsier. I mean 
<laughs> one of the first episodes we made, I was thinking about what you say and I even wrote it on my whiteboard and in my room because I was, huh, how curious that Elena finds so many parallels between Kelsier and Lohruder. And yes, here we find another one through Vin. The way that the collective mind of a society builds up a concept, the not the concept, the, the idea or the impression associated with a person. It's very well written in these books because it's been done several times and it's nice to see that in addition with the human side of the characters that are being like idolized, revered, like Elsir being the Lord Ruler. Yeah. To remember, they are people too, besides. They were all the grandiose things they were said to be, but they were also people. Um, so yeah. And I think that, like, one thing that I thought was really interesting about this book was the kind of change in how Kelsier is viewed by a lot of people. Because mm -hmm. in the first book, Kelsier is obviously there and is a very imperfect person. He has his faults and all of that. And then in the second one, you see him be start to become more deified and you still have the group being like, oh, like he was just a person. Like, we all dealt with him. Like, yeah, he was a good guy, but like, he was still a human. Yeah, he has his faults. He still had his faults. And in this book, you start to see Kelsier as an image being used more um, because you really see Demo and all of the like other soldiers Survivors. that believe in him. Yeah. And then you see how his image is used both by Tensoon, um, whenever he tries to warn people, he takes the image of Kelsier. And also it was even used by Ruin with Spook yes. whenever he was yeah. like trying to manipulate Spook. And I just thought it was interesting how even like Elin starts using him as like, remember Kelsier always smiled and we need to work to be more optimistic. Even his close friends start to see him as this kind of deity. Just that progression throughout the three books I thought was just very interesting. As a source of inspiration, I would say, because they, I never got the feeling of the crew revering him as a deity. Even oh, yeah. if some, sometimes they discuss, oh, what if he's out there look, looking at us? What would he say? Whatever. <laughs> that was Ham, obviously, because uh -huh. Ham is the only person who could bring uh, up such a topic but they find inspiration in his survival thing oh yeah um, even if they didn't review him like mm -hmm. the moo did in the same way yeah so yeah he became what he was trying to become yeah, he, he was so and creating religions <laughs> Why Kelsier and, Why? and creating religions? I mean, creating religions in general is a complicated business. <laughs> yeah. But now that we have been speaking about the, um, the Kandra, Tensun, and the Kolos, there's something interesting that I that I want to recall about the Kolos, which is the fact that they being made of several people, I mean, they coming from human, is foreshadow in the conversations that Bean has with this particular Kolos. <laughs> human. <laughs> human i mean another another example of brandon is shoving the spoiler right in front of your face the colors yeah, calls himself human and he says i am human. human and guess what he's literally a bunch of humans um mixed together so you know the funniest thing is uh, in who's that cosmere character when 17 shard plays like one of the typical like 
And I know this character is from Roshar or the gender of the character. It's one of those. And once the fish closed, this character is human, right? And so people like started guessing like human character, but then it ended up being human the coloss. And now every time they say this character is human, they guess human the coloss. So that's what happened. I just find that uh, really funny. It's very funny. Because yeah. he is. Oh, I he may I mean, be a coloss now, but he is human. Mm-hmm. I didn't like human when I read the book for the first time because I was like being the ignorant racist person saying shut up stupid colos <laughs> i mean i was i was like shut up colos you are a murderer you are evil you are violent stop speaking but then uh, i don't know it shows up that even the simple the simplest minds they put a lot of meaning in what they say you don't need to say something in an eloquent way to put a lot of meaning into it and this guy was literally saying i am human and he was literally trying to go back to what he was because I think it had to do with the fact that he had been... Um, there was something that made him more human than the rest of the colas. Was it the fact that he was a big one? I don't know, I can't quite remember. I can't remember. No, I don't think they ever said anything like specific. But he was like, he was the one that spoke the most. He was, mm-hmm. he was aware of his humanity and he was aware of the mist hating him which is i mean in the moment in which uh, this conversation happened vin was very worried because she was perceiving hatred or a bad feeling coming from the mist and it was because she was wearing her spike in her ear she she was able to relate to the colors in the fact that the colors felt that even if he was a human behind all the purple ripped out skin um the the mist hated him so he hated them back mm. and i don't know that was another another time very well foreshadowed and i was very sad uh, the second time i read this knowing what was going on understanding the point of view and thinking about the the raw sadness that this creature must have felt whatever he had become yeah, I so, think if I remember it's correctly, it's really tragic the fate of the colos. Yeah, gosh, if I remember correctly, I think it might have just been that he was like the one colos that uh, Vin had control over, and so while mm-hmm. Eland had like so many, he couldn't like be individually interacting with all of them. Mm-hmm. Vin was just sitting there asking him questions and being like, "Okay, so do you have a name?" Like what happened to you and trying to learn more and kind Mm -hmm. of forcing him to interact with her. Yeah, and it kind of shows, I don't know, I'm I'm probably making like too many larger world connections, but like interacting with like an individual as opposed to like thinking of everyone as like a group of people, you learn more about people as a whole and like their motivations and what actually drives them when you see them as an individual instead of just a part of a group. Mm -hmm. Besides, I mean, it's it's very frequent for us human to dismiss different kind of beings that work in a different way from us in comparison with us. But I like that Brandon has has regarded this issue several times with character speaking or interacting with creatures or objects or things that are not regarded as beings sentient beings that end up being it so it's a nice uh, suggestion to just open the mind and say okay look in this fictional story this this colors that we thought was a um, an evil beast is actually someone with feelings with worries with emotions 
and is the sadly and tragically the remnants of several human beings. So maybe we should consider, I don't know, the different kind of forms of life that exist in biology as, I don't know, beings. Mm -hmm. Rather than we, the superior kind that are thinking and stuff. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too philosophical, (laughs) but I think he he should definitely be like a a sociologist or a thinker of some kind because there's so much reflection and questions and debates and and stuff going on in his stories. I think he really understands the way that society works, that human works, that emotions works. We should get an episode about the role of the writer because as a writer he he's able to address so many different matters while he's just telling a story. Yeah, that is really uh, the great strength of fantasy uh, that you can uh, talk about so many uh, things that are so hard to talk about in the real world and uh, you can talk about them in a way that's safe, in a way that's uh, one step removed and doesn't carry all the baggage that it does here. This is Ilana, and in case you missed the title, this will be another two-parter. We just had so much to talk about this episode that we couldn't have fit it all in one, or else we would have been here for hours. So, check back in about two weeks for episode two, and I hope you enjoyed! If you want to find more, you can follow us and contact us through all of our social media. Links will be in the show notes. Join Discord and email us at worldhopperspodcast at gmail.com. DM us and we'll be sure to get you a link. You can also find Cheyenne on the 17 Shard forums under the profile Cheyenne Sedai. Tell us your feedback and ask us your questions. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Let us know what you think about the show and what your favorite moments from the Cosmere have been. And tell us your theories regarding what Brandon's got going on in his head when it comes to the Cosmere. If you've enjoyed the show, we would love it if you would give us a five-star review on iTunes. Rating the show really helps listeners to find us and build a community around the show. Also, make sure to share the podcast with other Brandon Sanderson fans, you know, and anyone you want to introduce to the series. We know how hard it can be to try and explain this to someone new without overwhelming them. And as always, journey before destination. Bye!